Welcome, everyone, to episode nine of the Higher Calling podcast presented by the Avondale Church of God. Today, we are reviewing the sixth chapter of Hebrews, getting back to our Hebrews study. Some key points we are discussing today include Christian perfection, backsliding versus reprobate, a comparison of a backslider versus someone who has become reprobate concerning the faith, the carrot or the stick, and the hope of the heavenly calling. We left off in our last episode 5, talking about chapter 5, we discussed spiritual maturity in our Christian walk, and then we took a small break. We had three sessions of choosing a church, and here we are back in Hebrews. And I will be doing an interview format with Daniel, and I am, of course, David. And Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. So, Daniel, tell us a little bit about what we're reading here. Well, this passage here is talking about leaving the principles. Leaving is an act of motion, an act of progression. Being a Christian is not a static or a passive experience. There is more to the Christian experience than these quote-unquote cardinal doctrines. Yes, repentance is necessary, salvation is crucial, and the ordinances must be performed. But here we read that there is much more to it. The author here is telling us to go on into perfection. The author here is encouraging the reader to press towards sanctification. We talked about this quite a bit in session 3 of Choosing a Church. This chapter is really a summary of sanctification. Here we can have a quick refresher by going to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sanctification is the second work of grace done by God. Salvation is that first work and cleanses us from our committed sins, those actions that we've taken that are in violation of God's law. Sanctification, that second work, removes our carnal nature through the cleansing of the Holy Ghost, and our actions in life prove it by the fruits we bear. And fruits, we would use like the fruits of the Spirit. You can find those in Galatians 5, 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These fruit of the Spirit 
are characteristics which are the aspects of God's true character. Let's read verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. So, can you lose your salvation? You really have to stay on your cross. You have to stay open and vulnerable to God and his will. What we're reading here is plain as day in verse 6. The conditional phrase, if they shall fall away. This isn't an accident or mistranslation. It is possible for one to come to the knowledge of God, to understand truth, call on the name of Jesus and be saved, be a partaker of the Holy Ghost through sanctification, and still, some still make the terrible decision of leaving and choosing sin. What's an example in the Bible of someone who lost their salvation, other than, say, Judas? Well, think of Demas. Paul, in one of his letters, references him as one who left the church, loving the things of this world. Sin is not simply an accident, but a premeditated act against your conscience and the urging of the Holy Ghost. This is what we talked about in podcast five. And in Matthew, Jesus says, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. But let's look at this clearly. A sinner can be saved again. It is documented in Revelation that sinners are instructed to do their first works over again. This would be salvation. And even in chapter 6, very beginning of this chapter, the author says, let us go on, which implies that many people are stuck in this little loop, the cycle of repentance. Later on, they stray out into sin, and then they get saved again, and then they go back out to sin. So, so David, what does it mean here when we read about the impossibility of restoring one to repentance after they've fallen away? Well, by doing a quick Bible study about this idea of falling away, using key terms such as concision and reprobate, we find that there's a spiritual condition that people can, uh, by choice, get themselves into that makes it impossible to do the first works over again. And Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32, Hebrews 3, verse 12, Philippians 3, verse 2, all of these speak of this situation. It's described as someone that's deceived by wickedness or false doctrine or through twisted desires and motivations, and they reject the Spirit of God for some type of personal gain. The Calvinist doctrine of predestination has some truths built into it, and those make that doctrine seem like it has a little validity. And one of these misconceptions is that if someone does sin after coming to repentance, then that person never had been saved to begin with. It is absolutely possible for someone to pray a sinner's prayer, have all the right words, but not acquire forgiveness from God, because uh, they 
you know, aren't ready to pay the price according to the biblical terms. A Calvinist would say that this person was not predestined by God to be saved. However, we know the Bible puts it in much simpler terms, that the person does not yet have godly sorrow, and it's missing fruits worthy of repentance. And think of the rich young ruler. Jesus, looking upon him, loved him, and said, Yet one thing thou lackest. And that young man went away sorrowful. Jesus loved him, invited him along after he had sold his possessions, but the young man rejected the invitation. So the Calvinist doctrine of predestination supposes that some people will be invited to have eternal life, to have salvation, to be loved of God, and others won't be invited at all. There is a concern that it's entirely contradictory to biblical teachings that rich young ruler didn't have the willingness to pay the price to obtain salvation and he walked away sorrowful it wasn't that the young rich young ruler wasn't you know predestined to miss eternal life destined to miss salvation destined to miss miss heaven because he received an invitation from god alternatively speaking once you have salvation you can't lose it if you do pray the sinner's prayer you do have godly sorrow you get repentance and you get saved then no matter what you do god is going to love you because jesus blood covers all sins and it doesn't matter you can't lose your salvation and that's just as much of a lie as not being invited ever so we know that the grace of god hath appeared to all men and in in the same token once you have salvation um you've got to maintain it you've got to consistently work on your individual salvation no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of god well we do read in the new testament the word predestined what does that mean salvation is the the predetermined method of having eternal life individual people aren't chosen ahead of time there's a really really good account of pharaoh being uh, made an example having his heart hardened and we know about this pharaoh's life the pharaoh who knew not joseph and really abused the israelites in the land of egypt and he forced them to serve with rigor and he um, subjected their children to be put to death and so this man was a wicked man and once god determines that an individual by his own conscience has chosen to be immoral, has chosen to forsake the goodness and mercy of God, then God is a just God. And furthermore, as as the scripture says, God is the potter, we are the clay. If he chooses to make, um, make a judgment call and have somebody not receive eternal life based upon God's great wisdom, who who are who is the clay who is the pot to um, accuse god of being unjust 
Well, we know that God is perfectly just and perfectly righteous, and we can have some reasonable expectations of eternal life after having made judgment calls and kept a clean conscience. And so Pharaoh, during his lifetime and and in his decision-making as being king, chose to forsake the goodness and mercy of God to treat God's chosen people at the time the Jews were God's chosen people absolutely very poorly. And God hardened his heart, and that's documented very clearly. Um, Pharaoh, he ended up at the hands of a of a great and terrible God, and that choice is our all of ours to make. The scripture talks about a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a mighty God. It is a fearful thing um, to fall into the hands of one who can destroy the soul. And what should we be more scared of? And Pharaoh, throughout his entire life, his um, his reputation was that he was not a just ruler. He was not fair to the people of God and and caused them great suffering and great harm. And God chose to use him as an example. And um, who, are, who are we to say that God is unjust in that regard? However, however, as God shows his grace and great mercy to each one of us, we need to take heed and hear the call, take action when the call comes our way. Um, if the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, well, how many times does God have to bring it forward in order to make that a true statement? At least once. If we reject God that one time, there's there's no telling how many more times in, in God's great mercy he's willing to come back and say, are you sure? Are you ready now? Are you ready to give your life over now? And it, it's certainly my testimony that God in his great mercy um, came back more than one time in his great love for me, more than one time offering his salvation, offering redemption and freedom from sin. And I look back on choices that I made to reject the call with with fear, with humiliation, and with shame. So I, I feel like the doctrine of predestination does two things. One, it could discourage those who struggle to find um, their salvation, struggle to find, to hear the call, to give their life over to God. It could discourage them from trying. Alternatively, those that may have experienced salvation coming back um, saying, well, I was baptized as an infant. I'm good to go. I felt my sins being forgiven. I'm good to go. If I return back to um, as a sow wallowing in her mire, the dog returned to his vomit. Like if I, if I go back, God's going to love me still. Well, yes, but Jesus says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay, verses 7 through 12 then. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs 
meat for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what's going on here? I mean, we have herbs that can be harvested, and then we have worthless weeds and thorns that end up being burned. It looks like people are being compared to plants, and that the author sees that whomever they are writing to can do better than just being a weed. Then there is a reward, or benefit, for producing useful herbs if they work hard enough. Well, the author here is basically talking about the analogy of the carrot or the stick. Um, think of the old story of trying to ride a horse or donkey after the rider is on the animal's back and the animal just won't go forward while well, a carrot is dangled from a stick in front of the animal's nose. When the animal takes a step towards the carrot, the carrot moves forward and it results in the animal beginning to chase the carrot. Well, if that doesn't work, then the stick can be used to strike the animal. So either there's a reward or a punishment to induce compliance. Well, Christianity isn't so different, although in the case of the carrot, we get to enjoy many blessings along the way. We aren't chasing a carrot that never gets caught. And, I mean, the most important of which is salvation. Of course, also, there's answered prayers, healings, grace, love, happiness, and many other blessings. The stick, I mean, in God's great love, he chastens us, says God, as a loving father chastens his sons. But think of it more broadly, the stick is eternal fire which is referenced there in verse 8 that we just read. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So, so thorns and briars are not useful. They get cast into the oven to be burned. So the next interesting part is it's very encouraging. God sees our potential. God sees better things that we can be after we leave behind the basics and press towards perfection. God is encouraging us to take the full step of commitment to God's service. Um, so Daniel, tell us if you could more about the diligence part or the slothful attribute that seems like it would keep someone from the inheritance uh, verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Salvation does something to the heart of man. It brings life and strength. It is normal to want to use this newfound strength towards a meaningful goal for God. 
The idea of moving on to perfection, of sanctification, brings a whole new set of attributes, the gifts of the Spirit that enable us to be useful towards God. Teaching, helping, prophesying, and preaching. These things edify the church and help spread the gospel to others. Human nature is still there. And as we all know, when something needs to get done, it doesn't always come easy because we might not have the motivation. We may not feel like it. We may be having a bad day. And the parable of the slothful servant who hid his talent instead of investing it comes to mind. Or the warning of revelations to the lukewarm spiritual condition of Laodicea. That's the age we live in. Lukewarmness. Not really wanting to do anything. We need to put these gifts to work. Effort is required. Verses 13 through 20. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for a confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, wow, there's a lot here. So, a couple questions, let's see if we can unpack this. What is it? mean by the oath to end strife? Well, here we have a really nice description of human nature, where we hear a statement and then we look for the confirmation of that statement. One day you might find yourself in court swearing to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, or in general conversation experience one who doubts what you're saying and then they attest the the truth of the matter by some expression of an oath. God understands our feeble human minds. And when he was making this promise to Abraham that he would have a son, he then confirmed it with an oath. The first, the word of God, is an unchangeable thing. But because he understood Abraham needed just a little more than just the word of God, he followed it up with an oath. And we know it is impossible for God to lie. So, we have this promise of eternal life that it is attainable and it gives us a very powerful hope. Our hope is an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. And what does it mean by a forerunner? We have the forerunner entering into the veil. This is a wonderful metaphor. The veil represents death, both physical and spiritual. Where Christians are preceded by in death through Jesus, who conquered death and is risen again. He proves that it can be done. But this this veil, and maybe I should have started with this, the veil was this 
the separation between the the holy place with the altar of incense, which represents prayer, and separated in the temple from the holiest place where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, where the holy presence of God was, and that there was this veil that that separated those those two rooms. And only once per year did the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies, go through that veil to offer sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, this veil was rent in two from the top to the bottom, showing that it was only that God that did it, not man. And this, this veil being torn away is showing that we can now have that experience close to God through salvation and then sanctification. We, we now have that opportunity to go to the throne of grace. Okay, great. Well, thanks for spending time here with us. And with that, we can wrap up this podcast. It's been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. And as always, thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.csinning.com or email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org. We'd love to hear from our audience and would be happy to further any discussion or pray for a need you may be experiencing. And once again, thank you for listening and have a great day. We'll see you next time here on The Higher Calling, presented by the Avondale Church of God.